Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, I hope everyone heard that. We are on back chat, powered by Fleet Network, joined by the beautiful Blair Evans, who apparently needs to burp. You know what? It's staying in the podcast. Bad luck. Hello, Blair. What's going on? I'm so sorry. No, we're not, we're not starting again. Ner- <laughs> he was nervous. That's great. It's the greatest start we've ever had on back chat, powered by Fleet Network, uh, powering the podcast this year, of course. Blair, welcome. How Thank are you? you? I'm. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, good. Yeah. We Great. just, we just actually talked about like cutting stuff out of the podcast. Don't worry, we won't stitch you up, but that's definitely staying. No, nah, that's yeah, staying. Yeah, you can keep that in there. <laughs> Starting a podcast with laughter is always a good thing. Um, how we start our podcast, I'm not sure, not sure if you're a Backchat fan, but I'm sure you will be after this chat. Um, we ask our guests, we speak to a lot of people in sport. Um, we ask our guests for their greatest sporting achievement. Now, mm-hmm. you might be going to medals you've won or, you know, Olympics, Commonwealth, Australian titles. All of that's great. And we know you've done all that. Yeah. Um, you're a good swimmer. Congrats. You're above average. For right now, um, you may even be a great swimmer. Yeah. For right at this moment, for this question, we don't care. Okay. Don't care about all the medals. Okay. We will know your greatest sporting achievement, not in the pool. So you need to give us something you've done at, in sport outside of your chosen sport. So while you're having a thing, Dan Const. Um, Got this cricket ball right here. That's a trophy from under 12's grand final match, five for 16 uh, bowling figures. Lost the grand final. Doesn't matter. Oh, I was a footballer. Um, I was an under nine, 80 meter hurdle champion. I was also, I've still yet to confirm, but it's under 12 sort of range, uh, state flags champion. Okay. Um, so we, you know, the rogue the better. We've had, we've had pigeon trainers. We've had gymnasts. We've had. I had year seven players. javelin. I was good at javelin in year seven. Ballantyne was a good javelin mm. thrower. What's your greatest yeah. sporting achievement? Not in the pool, and he cannot. No one has ever told us you have nothing. Okay. So when I was year six, I was a little bit of a runner um, and I was doing the 800 for the first time and mum gave me her old spikes. She was a runner as well. Incredible. Controversial um, because however old I was, 10 or whatever it is, um, kids weren't getting around in spikes, right? Right, right. So I lined up on the line. I was against year sevens or something. I was against everyone basically. And I ended up 
lapping everyone and winning that 800. Wow. Lapping people in an 800 is a pretty bloody yeah, good effort. Yeah. I don't know whether they were real bad or whether <laughs> I was real good, but, um, you know, those sporting moments, swimming from the age of probably 13 onwards, swimming was the only thing that I could do um, due to an illness in my hip, which we'll get into. Yes. Um, so before that was probably all my defining moments. Oh, that's, that's. I'm impressed that you could fit your mum's shoes in your six. <laughs> Either uh, she has oh, real got, small feet. Yeah, and you're a swimmer. <laughs> yeah. A swimmer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's probably one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember your first car? Yes. What it was, was it? It was a banged up old BMW. I just BMW. knew that I no, – Don't get, twi- don't get it twisted. Like it was a documentary. Uh, yeah. Posh Spice is rolling yeah. around. Tough life. I am the Posh Spice of Perth. No, it was a banged up old BMW. It was like 500 bucks off West Coast Highway, just sitting on the side of the road. Bullshit. Just knocked on the door. Mum and dad bought it for me and it was a bucket of <laughs> not great stuff. It didn't last very long, but I just felt so cool having a BMW as a first car. Yeah, so mum and daddy bought you a BMW for your yeah. first car. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just that's what I'm entitled. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Uh, tell us about growing up then. Um, was it a sporting family you grew up in? Was was you know a swimming a thing that you eventually go in to make a career out of? Or is our children running around the streets out there? What was childhood life for you? It was great. I have the most beautiful family. I have an older brother. He's two years older than me. And mum was a netballer and a runner and dad was uh, soccer. Um, so they never did swimming. Uh, originally we got into swimming cause of water safety. Obviously I grew up around, um, the Northern suburbs, the beaches, friends, pools were always around water. So mum and dad had us in from birth and, um, did all sorts of different sports. I did the T-ball, the netball, the dancing, the little athletics. I tried karate once, ran out crying. Wasn't for me. Um, so we did everything. Um, but then I was a really competitive kid. Like I came out swinging and right. um, so I tried everything and if I wasn't good at it, chucked a tantrum and, and <laughs> left it and on to the next thing. But um, I was very lucky the way I grew up, surrounded by support, surrounded by love and, uh, yeah, I just fueled that competitive nature with sport. I know you had a – or have a brother, Jason. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you're competitive so you're younger than Jason. Yes. Right. What's that relationship like? Uh, and I talk about it a lot, uh, in my work, my story involves him a lot cause he was a big inspiration to me as a kid. And I don't know whether that came from competitiveness or just, I idolized him. I wanted to do everything that he did or wanted to do. So our relationship when we were young was, was fun. Uh, my first couple of steps that I actually took, he decided to push me over. And I think that's where it stemmed from. <laughs> um, I couldn't achieve more than him too early. Um, but from there, we grew up swimming together. Um, and around the time, so he was really successful. He was the hard worker and I was the talented one of the family, I think you could put it. Um, so he was working hard and I was kind of just kicking around. Uh, but we both ended up in swimming, both ended up in the same squad and through that, um, our relationship got a little bit touchy at times just because he worked so hard. He was really good as a youngster. He won the gold medals. I traveled around Australia watching him compete at nationals. Right. Uh, and then as I got a little bit older, um, I started to do well, um, based off talent, uh, and then got a little bit fractured there. Um, and then when I achieved, you know, making waste, going to the Olympic Games, that was all his dreams. And unfortunately, um, 
he didn't get there and that caused a lot of friction and I wasn't a good person during that time. I was cocky. I was confident. Nothing could touch me. So I was really mean to him during that period. Mm. So we didn't have a great relationship. But I think the turning point was he actually got to come to the Olympic Games in 2012 and 2016 and he did see me go through a lot in that time, um, both personally, professionally, um, and how much it took to get there and how much of a toll it did take on me. So I think he started to understand a little bit more. Um, not that I got off, I didn't get off lighter. He always said that um, I had stuff handed to me on a silver platter, but I definitely didn't. And we've had conversations about this whole process since mm. then. So our relationship is actually really good now, but definitely growing up, it was some days good, some days, you know, screaming matches in the pool with the coaches trying to pull us apart. Um, so, yeah, we spent a lot of time together growing up in sport and um, I have a lot of respect for him. I owe him a lot for pushing me and motivating me. Um, but also I think he's very proud of of me and what I've done and what I've been through to get where I am. So we both have a better understanding of each other now. How much older is he than you? Two years. So... Like what I'm, what I'm hearing is like it's not, you know, it wasn't like who was better. Even though, I'm, did you, did you become faster than him? There was, I wasn't going to ask that, but did you beat him in the end? <laughs> there's one race that, um, because men and women don't race yeah. in the same races, but there was one particular race, a 1500 meters short course. We trained together. There was so much hype around it. Everyone was like, J- Jason's going to win, and I was like, there's not a chance he's winning here. I'm in my prime. So we get to the day, we're driving to the, the pool. It's the whole family, mum, dad, myself and Jason sitting in the back seat. You could hear a pin drop. <laughs> get to the pool, we went our separate ways. Our coach gave us separate little chats and then we got behind the block and uh, I was pretty certain that I was going to win this race just because I had such a chip on my shoulder. And I got halfway through the race. He was in lane one. I think I was in lane six or seven. And I was eyeballing him as much as I could. And I was like, he's with me. I've got to really knuckle down this last 100 metres. And I touched the wall and he actually turned to go again. So I lapped him. Oh, boy. Wow. That was probably the heightened point of our bad relationship. <laughs> um, no, but all in all in good fun. Like, uh, well, I wasn't going to – like uh, what I was saying before I asked was it doesn't sound like it was because you were better than him. It was like the – the I don't know, the, not the pathway but the – how hard he had to work yes. versus what he felt. Yeah. And this is at the time. Clearly. Yes, yeah. Not in the future, but, oh, well, you just got to walk in. You're a better swimmer. And- yeah, because I didn't work hard as a kid. I yeah. was a kid getting out and going for a shower in the main set and he was really, really dedicated to literally everything that he did. Swimming's just uh, comes across as such a brutal sport to me, both physically, clearly, but mentally. Yeah, it takes a huge toll. And when you see someone who doesn't work as hard as you achieve things that you want, I can definitely understand the frustration and the anger behind that. So I do owe him a lot for how he handled me because I was unbearable at times. Right. Um, but, yeah, we've we've grown and we've talked about it and I reckon we've sorted through our issues. Now. You have to, like, start young as well. You don't hear about, like, oh, you know, yeah, Dan, Dan picked up swimming when he was 23. You can easily learn. <laughs> one of my body obviously is shaped for, for swimming. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's always like if, I feel like the people that were good swimmers when they're when they're a kid, like it translates. It's not yeah. something you can, yeah. And to make it like like people are swimming and, and in squad swimming and all that stuff like is 
10, 11, 12 year olds, right? Yeah. Like, is, well, that you, is that you? We started at six right. and I was competing by the age I was seven. Right. So it was definitely a, a lifelong 24-year journey. And is that pretty similar, like across the – like all your friends that have been in swimming, all these competitors, is that like no, shared? Or? A lot of my um, – well, yeah, we all start at a certain age, which is young. You learn to swim and then you kind of go through the system. But a lot of people – a lot of girls that I swam with tapped out at 17. They tapped out at 18. Mm. And even uh, the girls that I swam with on the team tapped out at 25. And I tapped out at 31, 30. So I went for a lot longer and that's um, all part of the story. But um, I loved my sport and you really have to love the sport of swimming because there's no money in it. You you dedicate a lot of your life, you dedicate a lot of your brain power to, to swimming and so some people love it and some people come out absolutely hating it. What does that make you more um, stubborn, <laughs> competitive, or stupid. I don't know. I, don't I think all three, honestly. <laughs> uh, swimmers are a special breed of crazy yeah. uh, that I've always maintained. I've told everyone that I've met, you know, we're a special breed of human. Yeah, right. So uh, you start young. You mentioned that, that swimming was something that you kind of, one, you started as a young age but mm. became like physically something that was drawn to you because of what, like a misdiagnosis effectively? Yeah, so 11 years old I was actually misdiagnosed with cancer right. um, in my hip. So I was doing all those sports, loving it, and then I was having a lot of pain in my hip. Um, went to a physio for about a month. They, nothing was working, so I went and got a bone scan, came back the next day, and they said, you've got Ewing sarcoma, which is bone cancer. I uh, was into hospital the next day, had the first biopsy, came back inconclusive, so they had to go in and take the whole mass out and test it. And they're like, whoops, it's osteomyelitis, which is a bone infection, um, but unfortunately like the damage was done the the mental damage was yeah, they, done they told, they told you you had yeah sat me down in a, a room mum dad oh. myself and they said it's presenting as Ewing sarcoma it's brutal for you but your parents as well yeah they went home and researched as parents do jump on webmd google mm-hmm. and um the prognosis wasn't good i think that was the first time that i'd sort of seen emotion from my dad he was a prison officer for 31 years so right. he was a very tough man a very hard man but when you go through something like that, yeah, the whole family was kind of rocked at that point. What's the what happens afterwards with that misdiagnosis? Like, do they apologize? I don't know. How does that work? I mean, I think I blocked out a lot of what was said and what happened around that time. I was so young, so I yeah. only remember key parts. Um, but you know, there was never really any follow up from that. It was kind of like, okay good news, it's osteomyelitis, we'll deal with this now. And then from there I was kind of like, all right, well, I'm not going to die, so mm. I'm yeah. good. Did that? So that gave you – but you still, like you said, like you couldn't like start running or whatever. So you obviously – it wasn't like a, oh, there's nothing going on. You had something removed from your body. Like yeah, so after that I ended up with arthritis because I had to take so much away from the joint. Uh, it oh. never recovered properly. Um, so I do have the hip of a 100-year-old person. Um <laughs> from that point on. So I definitely had to work around all those limitations, which made my journey so much more, not complicated, but fun. And I just really, I felt different at that time. And a lot of the times I did feel different to a lot of athletes because they had no limitations, but yeah, I really enjoyed being different, I think. And proving people wrong as well. After that, I was told that I would never run again, that I would never train at a level that would get me to being an athlete um, of the caliber that I got to. So at that point, I was kind of like, well, why not? Like, 
stranger things have happened. So got back in the pool and definitely took my losses over the next few years trying to get back to to winning races and enjoying sport again. But I got there and I never looked back. And although I couldn't do everything that the other kids could, I found my way. At what stage do you know you're good at swimming or you know, potentially early given that you're driven by winning? But <laughs> do, uh, what, what stage do you start to know that you can compete on like a national level and, and uh, yeah, are good? I think I was around 16 when I won my first um, national age medal. I think I came third at the national championships and got to go away on a swim camp over to Queensland and joined all the amazing girls that were, were training. And I think it was it was 2008 at this point and I got to go and train in Steph Rice's squad who was the world record holder that year. So I just got inspired by that environment and took that back to my home program and just kind of went from there. I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. I knew that um, I wanted to travel more and it was fun. Like I liked traveling and being away and being in a team environment. So if I couldn't do that any other way, swimming was the way that I was going to do it. And I would literally find any event that worked for me to get there. Was it made, like, was it a massive step up to someone like a world champion effective squad from what you were used to? Definitely. I was surrounded by a great squad growing up. I swam in a squad full of older guys. So I had like 12 big brothers, Hmm. um, which made me get thick skin pretty quick um but being in a squad of strong females and witnessing being surrounded by females who were pretty much the same as me you know hungry stubborn um would do anything had that killer attitude just really drove me to to go back and be like I need to be like these girls I need to take everything that I've learned here go back to my program and just work harder what what happens in the like those sorts of swim camps you guys are swimming lap after lap after lap for days Pretty much. I think this was a a week camp. So you start on a Monday morning and end on a Saturday morning and you're just being pummeled daily (laughs) up and down. And I mean, there's a social aspect. A lot of people think swimming is just a a lonely sport and you're black line head down the entire time, but there's a huge social aspect to it where you finish a set and you're all like, oh my gosh, that was so hard or how are you feeling or how was that? And you go back and you share other stories. So it's quite the social side of it for me was was really enjoyable as well. Yeah, because I was going to ask that it's an individual sport clearly, yep. um, but you you know you've won medals in the Olympics in comp games in, in relays. Yeah. So there's a team element and there's yeah. the, there's a squad element, but like there's there is a, events in this that you can compete in the team. So what's what's better like the the single fame you know I'm 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 the woman I'm the the winner or mm-hmm. we are like the team element. I loved the relays. They were my favourite part of, of competing. I got to swim with three amazing girls and share a podium with them. Um, obviously the individual and I think at a lot of my meets or especially the Olympics where I did get the silver medal, I swam terrible in my individual race and then got up and did amazing for a relay. So I think uh-huh. it's being surrounded by the right people and picking yourself up and learning from that disappointment. What can you do better next time? So that individual race, I had one good leg of it, which was my freestyle, which actually got me the spot on the relay team. I wasn't even meant to swim that race. So I had to take the positives out of the negatives and then just turn it around within days. So it really teaches you to appreciate not only the solo aspect of sport, but also surrounding yourself with good people to, to pick you back up. So like you were really good at individual medleys, which again, if you're not a swimming fan, 
listening in. Um, I would I would rank you as probably the craziest of the swimmers, which <laughs> means instead of just like focusing on one uh, style, freestyle, backstroke, breaststroke, yep. you're doing all of them, uh, all four. But back on the uh, Stephanie Rice uh, squad, so that was in 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. you won your first national championship. So it didn't take you long to go and put what she had sort of taught you into place, right? Yeah, your definitely. Eight, 800. National yeah, champion. I went from IM to 800 real quick and um, <laughs> spent the next few years swimming freestyle. So go figure. When I said I was choosing any sport that would get me there, I, I genuinely meant it. Um, <laughs> I really liked the the different training with the IM. That's what I love. So I never stopped training IM. It just so happened that there was a spot open in that 800 free and I just went for it like a bulldog. Mm. Like I knew that was my way onto the team and went away to that 2009 world champs and absolutely loved the experience where I'm like a drowning fish, but came away with a lot of inspiration. Um, and at that time, you know, we speak about processes and, and mental health and surrounding yourself with the right people. At that point, I didn't have that because I was such a strong female who didn't think they needed any support. So walked away from that feeling quite deflated and had those two choices. I can either quit I've made an Australian team, I can rest on my laurels or I can go back and and work harder and that's what I did. And the next year I won a 200 freestyle and went away to the Com Games and won a gold medal in the 4 by 2 and all those sorts of things. So it's a a real big process of learning um, about yourself and I really had to work away from that, walk away from that first experience at that World Championships and do better, calm myself down a little bit, um, find people around me that were going to, helped me deal with the losses a little bit better. I was a terrible loser. Ask anyone I swam against, I would throw tantrums and cry and all those sorts of things when I was a little bit younger growing up. Um, But after that experience, I just became a different athlete. Yeah. So I think with all the different events you're talking about, you're talking about relays, 200 meters, you're talking about 800, Mm -hmm. you're talking about IMs, like, I'm assuming there's a big difference in training loads and like what you're actually doing to be good at these things. For me, I was an endurance athlete, so I could go for days. I could back up sessions. I was pretty much unbreakable. At one point I trained through glandular fever and had no idea that I had it. Excellent. That would have gone well. (laughs) Yeah. My poor body. (laughs) But I just didn't know anything different. I wanted to be successful so bad and I had a team behind me that were just pushing me. They just kept telling me, you know, this is what you have to do to get there. This is the boxes that you need to tick. And there would be sheets of paper that said, this is the time you have to hit at this meet. And this is the time that you have to hit at this meet. And if I didn't get that, I felt like I wasn't succeeding. So I, it just became ingrained into me that it was a process and that it was laid out for me, the path. And I had to do everything to get there. What's it like standing on the podium? You mentioned 2010, your gold medalist, Com Games. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the first time you'd represent your country, but What's it like on the podium, getting a medal, national anthem in your kit? What's that feel like? Not many people get to do that. Indescribable. Um, And I was so lucky that I got to share it with three of my very good friends on the team. Uh, And again, at that meet in my individuals, swam terrible, was picked to win the individual 200 gold, got fifth, came back, swam the fastest time in the pool, in the entire pool for that relay. So again, a learning experience that probably wasn't, mentally or physically like Delhi was a an interesting place to swim right. and everyone got sick and I don't know whether I got sick but being able to lift for a team um I'm still very confused about it how I couldn't <laughs> do that three days prior 
but standing on that podium, family in the crowd, like there's just nothing compares to that. What's the um the build up like being amongst the best in the world, like from all the other countries? Are you guys is there much chatter amongst it or, or are you just like keeping to yourself the entire time? The Aussie team's pretty good at just you know, closed doors, we're in our camps because we do a week camp before going to a big meet. So we're wherever we were, I think we're, yeah, I can't even remember. But we go for a staging camp for a week and we just shut doors. Media's allowed in probably one day and then the rest of the time. And social media wasn't a thing back then. No. Very lucky that I didn't grow up in sport in that world of social media. Um, I just think you're open to criticism and the way that we're addicted to our phones now we read everything and the things that you absorbed is the things that you become you read into them and so many people can tell you can have so many supporters at home it just takes one bad comment to rock you so very lucky that I didn't um, go through that first loss on that day and people messaging me or replying to stories or posting like why didn't you win why didn't you get that gold medal was so handy I just had a peep Team of people around me, they were all like, that was pretty tough, tough day out, but get back up and, and go again. So, yeah, the Aussie team's really good at um, just staying to themselves. Once you get into the village, it's a free-for-all, obviously. There's so many people around and you're battling people for the buffet in the dining hall and <laughs> sleeping in mozzie nets, in single beds. There's a lot to um, tackle once you're actually in a village situation, but... The Aussie team just nail it every single time. You've mentioned it a few times, failure as a – well, I don't know. You haven't said the word failure, but, you know, not not uh, performing as well as yeah. you would have hoped as an individual. It seems like a sport that opens it up, itself up for like that – that like failure. You, you either like win or, or medal or like it's, it's, yeah. it's no good. Well, the expectation, the self – expectation is the hardest thing to to deal with you go in and you feel great and everything's gone well in prep and then you get up and nothing comes together on the day and it's just like how and you you don't get answers from that you can't go back and be like okay this went wrong this went wrong this went wrong because everything went right so I think the self-expectation is the hardest thing to overcome and just be like okay it's just a bad day you can get back up and do it again and I fell victim to those heavy self-expectations a lot and wanting to um, felt like I had so much expectation from back home as well, which came from myself. It wasn't actually true. People didn't like me whether I won the medal or not or succeeded and my family didn't love me whether I won or lose and that was something that I didn't understand going through that phase of my swimming career. I thought my self-worth was based off how many medals I won, if I stood on the dais, if I did a PB, um, all those things that come with being an athlete. It's interesting because, you know, you talk about your preparation, your training, your build up. It might be in the case of an Olympic Games, four years. Mm-hmm. And then how, how long does it take to swim 200 metres? A minute. How long would it take, Dan? How long would it take you? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't swim 200 metres. <laughs> get out. Like, uh, like how, how long does it take? A minute 55. Right. So under two minutes, right? Yeah. And then you have four years of preparation. Yeah. And it's just an interesting concept that it doesn't, it's not shared too many sports where mm-hmm. you don't really have an opportunity to correct any mistakes you make. You make a mistake and the four years are in the bin. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And like, that happens at trials usually. We see people miss teams by 0.01 of a second. Yes. And they're four years. So is that separation between training and being a good swimmer and having talent and being in a good squad and getting better, all that stuff 
uh, as opposed to performance mindset and the ability to be able to perform in a two-minute period? Like, do you do you see that as someone who swims? Like, it's such a massive separation of like what you do. Yeah, definitely, and it can make or break an athlete's career, mm. um, especially missing by such small margins. And I've had it happen to so many friends that I've been training with or on the team with before we're on 2012 together and then they missed 2016 by one place by a millisecond and it can completely derail someone yeah um, because four years is a long time and sure there's world championships and com games and all those meets in between but nothing's as big as the olympic games and everyone um, who's in a sport that that is the highest level that's their goal so it's definitely a challenging um process and it can be taken away from you you know you can sorry you can get to trials and come down with a cold yeah and the four years is done you can slip on pool deck injure yourself all these things that can happen to to any athlete but that four-year separation is is brutal Mm. you were talking about like self expectations a lot um does swimming for australia come into that like as like a, someone who watches the Olympics, you just as an Australian, you expect to win all the time. <laughs> like it's not like we're a country that's bad at it and like yeah. it's a bonus if we get a result. It's like you no, you are expected to win. Yeah, definitely. And that well, weighed heavy on the swim team, especially. We were the ones that were meant to boost up the medal tally in twenty twelve. We didn't and we got absolutely hammered for it. There was so much controversy around it. There was the Steel Knox incident. There was not winning enough gold medals and then our head coach got outed for all sorts of reasons so that was a a tough year to be part of the team and um that being my first olympics i had an amazing time like don't get me wrong that was one of the most incredible experiences of my life but from the outskirts and the media and the scrutiny that we were under as a team we didn't see that from the inside we were doing the best we could it's not like we turned up and we're like oh we might just come second today (laughs) like you never you're never putting yourself in that situation. So that was a hard um, team to come out of and see all the bad press about it. But that's your first Olympic Games, London 2012. Mm-hmm. Like there's got to be huge positives. Like yeah. That, we, you know, and we, and we, externally we've seen the negatives. But what's it like rolling in Olympic Games, you've qualified? Um, what's that build up like and then the opportunity to be at the Olympics? Because you just said that's that's the pinnacle. Yeah. Like no doubt. Yeah. What's it like on reflection? So I, that my first team, I came second to Steph Rice. So someone that I idolized four years prior was in that race when she broke the world record. Someone that I not modeled, but just respected so much in the sport of swimming. I made the team alongside of her and I got to swim with her and prep with her. And so that for me was one of the most special things because not many people get the opportunity to do that. And I worked hard to get there and worked my butt off to get on that team. So that takes nothing away from the things that I did to get there, but to swim with someone that you idolize for such a long time and finally achieve a childhood dream and prove all the doubt is wrong and prove those doctors wrong. Like it's just such a cool feeling to to get up and wear the green and gold. And although that uniform was horrific. <laughs> was it? Oh, horrific. We've seen some things. Um, I've got to look this up. I don't remember it being particularly bad. Yeah. 2012 was, was bad, was it? 2012 was bad. Mm. Um but yeah, I felt privileged to to be there. And I think that's cool to go in with that mindset because it's my first team. It could go either way, but 
I'm going to soak up every last minute of being here in staging camp, in the village, competing after it. It's a whole process. It's really like this month-long portion of your life that's like a dream. Hmm. The Is it fair to say your individual didn't go as well as you realized did? In, yeah. In that Olympics? Yeah, definitely. And I got out of that swim and didn't really – the time didn't reflect the work that went into it and that's just life. Um, got out of it, went back to my coach, had a bit of a chat, cooled down and went back to my room and I was like, all right, well, what are the positives in this race? Because you can't spend the next few days – I was on the first day of competition hmm. – the first race up. So I couldn't just dwell on it. I'd learned from that 2009 experience not to be the downer in the, in the camp. So I really had to filter through, okay, what was the positives out of this? And the positive was my freestyle leg. And then a day later I'm asked to swim on the relay team. And so that's not something, you know, going in that you're going to be in the relay team. There's a squad. So there's probably about eight or nine girls that could potentially swim that relay. And right. the team is different from heat to final again. So you're all swimming against each other, but you're also a team. Hmm. So I didn't know that going in. And so when I was told that, you know, I jumped at the chance and I swam my absolute heart out and did the best time I possibly could and it was amazing. Mm. So that was in the heats? Yeah. So you were swimming the final? Still jaded about this experience. Oh, it's interesting. I think, well, I think it's an interesting insight. Yeah. So I did swim the quickest time out of the four girls and I went back to the mix zone and they said to me, you'll be in the final. You did the quickest time. And I was like, this is sick. Can't like, do much more than that. Can't do much more than that. Was stoked with my performance. Got back to the team environment. The head coach came up to me probably after my cool down and was like, oh. And I try not to speak so negatively because I don't hold anything against the person that was put into the the team in the final, but they hadn't swum the relay. They weren't on the squad, but they had had a really successful first few days of competition. So for me, heartbreak, disappointment, had to sit in the stands and watch a race that I should have been in or I felt like I deserved to be in. Um, but at the same time, I was proud. Like there's not much more I could have done in that heat swim and there's not much more that I could have, you know, I couldn't throw a tantrum. I couldn't just sit there and be like, I deserve that spot. Like I shared an experience with eight girls and we came out with a medal and I have a medal and I get to go and speak about this experience. And mm. although it's a roller coaster, like that individual didn't go well, that relay did, and then heartbreak again, like that's sport. It's a roller coaster and you just have to take your losses, learn from them, what's the positives out of it. And I've still got a beautiful medal sitting at home, but it's definitely not my favourite medal or experience by any means. What is? Um, 2016 comeback. Yep. So after London, I actually moved to the Gold Coast for, for nine months and joined a new squad um, and got an injury, shoulder injury, neck injury, three bulging discs in my neck, um, bursitis, tendonitis in my shoulder, had to come back, actually made the 2013 World Champs team had to pull off it because I was in cool down and felt my shoulder just was still lots of pain. So I thought it's not really fair me going half done to this world championship. So I pulled off that team and a girl made a debut. She got to swim at a world championships and for the first time. And that's amazing. Yeah. But I knew personally that I couldn't give a hundred percent and I couldn't be in pain for much longer. I don't do well in pain. I'm a grumpy person. So <laughs> 
I moved back to Perth, had that surgery, and then started seven long years of plagued by shoulder and neck stuff. Um, but that, and that's just from overuse? Yeah, or? swimming's a lot of overuse um, injuries. You hear anyone, most swimmers will have shoulder problems, um, but mine just, I don't know whether my nervous system, my neck caused a lot of nerve problems, so I'd wake up and not be able to feel my arm on some days and not be able to stroke. So I knew at that point that something wasn't right. Um, and after that surgery, it didn't really get much better. Like the neck nerve pain just plagued me. So I came back to Perth, had that surgery, tried to get back in the water. Nothing was really working, took some more time out, um, changed coaches, found the best coach I've ever had in my life, Bud, um, and started to work with him. And when I first started working with him, I said to him, you know, got a bad hip, bad shoulder, bad neck, I'm 20, whatever I was, 25 at the time, um, but would you take me on? And he said, yeah, all right. He had a small squad of, of younger boys. And so I started swimming there and I reckon the first month he didn't say more than two words to me. I uh, didn't think I could swim good. He knew my history, um, but I was kind of just, again, a floundering fish at that point, just was getting back in. Tough love? Is that what he was doing? Or? I just, he's an American dude. He has the handlebar moustache. Like he's just a great guy, but man of very few words. And from the day that I met him to the day that I stopped working with him, he didn't give much away. So I just had to learn um, and learn very quickly that I didn't need validation to, to be good at what I was doing. I really learned in that period to go from having everything on a piece of paper to tell me how I needed to get there to figuring it out myself. So I grew up a lot when I worked with him. But I was also the last person anyone saw getting onto the 2016 Olympic team. Um, I was considered older in swimming and people kept reminding me of that. Right. And so I was just ticking away and I went back as a freestyler again, tried to do the 200, um, wasn't really working for me. So I went back to IM and I did my first IM set with him and he goes, oh, you can actually swim. So he, <laughs> <laughs> so he chose the IM and from there I actually got dropped from WACE, from support. I was sat in a room and said, um, we don't think you'll make it back. Your team doesn't believe you'll make it back. Um, you know, you've got 0.00% chance of making a second Olympic Games. Right. And then with your injury, it's even less. So What year is this? Twenty End of 2015. Right. Yeah. So it's close to yeah. that run. Yeah. And So you're no chance in their eyes. Yeah, I was no chance. From a belief point of view, mm -hmm. that close to the Olympics. And, and how long is typically – like the build up to being in the Olympic squad, like do you know a couple of years out that you're on the trajectory to do that or is it pretty last minute? Again, it can change depending on injury, illness, yeah. um, form even, um, having a bad run of training, all those sorts of things go into it. And there's always someone younger than you trying to take your spot. Yeah. So for me there was a couple of girls that had really successful years, so I was the underdog. Um, I wasn't producing incredible times yet and I'd just come off that freestyle switch to IM so that was kind of like we can't justify supporting you which I kind of understood but it didn't sting any less being sat in a room and told that you're not good enough again I was kind of like all right I'm done so I walked away from that and got in my car and I, was like, I quit so what's the quitting element the like the, the support from a like financial point or just the belief element both, mm. definitely both. Um, financial is hard enough in any sport. Everyone experiences it, but 
the belief side for me, I was still in that weird period of am I doing it because I love it or am I doing it because people tell me I'm good at it? And after that point, quit, went home. Mum and dad knew who I was. They're like, she's not done, but we'll give her a couple of days. Um, <laughs> That's they're like, yeah, sure, you're done. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I went home for a couple of days, took a couple, I reckon I took a week off swimming and then went back um, to working with Bud and just put my head down and I knew that I wanted to go to a second Olympic Games and I knew that I was capable of it. So just worked harder than I had before. Again, had the hip thing, had to work with the shoulder thing now. Um, and some days were really good. And some days I made it 300 meters into a warm up and had to get out and go home. Right. There was a lot of tears, um, a lot of pain involved, a lot of anti-inflammatories. Uh, <laughs> as any athlete knows, when you get to being a little bit older, it takes a bit longer to recover. And for me, it was uh, anti-inflammatories from 11 years old all the way up until 30. So, Perfect. yeah, I went through that experience, just worked really hard and got to probably January and started producing some good times again. Um, and... Waste came back and said, well, if you do this time, we'll support you again. So I was like, I'm not sure if I want that support back because it feels like I'm a number rather than an actual human. Um, but financially I needed it. So I produced the time. I went back on scholarship and then by I think trials were in June, we had nationals and then you won nationals. trials in Maybe it was just trials at that point. They changed to a, a different format of national championships and then trials. So there was two big meets in the lead up. You won nationals. I won trials. You won trials. And I think I might have won nationals. You won nationals. Okay. Claim national title. Okay. 400 right. IM. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I blocked a lot out, clearly. You did a, you did a PB, 435.26. Okay, so that was trials. Okay. So that was my Yeah, that was in the trials. Yeah, yep. that was in the trials. Yeah. So before that race, actually two weeks out, I sprained my neck, couldn't swim for four days. So I thought this is over, I'm done. Um, four days out is a lot going into a prep. So yes. I just said, oh, no. Um, and I was confident. I'd put up some good times and probably went in, I think I went in ranked third for that trials and still classified as the underdog. And got to that meet after being injured and I was like, whatever happens, happens. I have nothing to lose here. I've done everything that I can. I've got a really good support network around me that I've built based on who stayed, who supported, who reached out. Um, I got behind that block. I was physically shaking. I could not contain my nerves at all. And I'm quite an anxious person, but that was next level. And I just got up and you got nothing to lose, Blair. So just dove in. And I think my eyes were closed for like 75% of the race because I just didn't want to see anything. 400 IM, if no one knows, it is brutal. It hurts so Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So much, you feel like you're going to die. So I just swam that race pretty much with my eyes closed and opened them probably within the last 25 meters and saw no one around me. And I was like, I'm lost. (laughs) (laughs) Touched the wall, turned around, saw a two-second PB, number one next to my name, and that still gives me goosebumps. It's my favorite race. It's my favorite moment of my entire sporting career. Um, And again, mum's in the stands, hysterical, jumping up and down. (laughs) Dad, the um, non-emotional one, is trying to pull her down. prison guard. Yeah, (laughs) he's trying to pull her down and not to act so crazy. And that was just a not only for me but for everyone who had watched me go through everything to get to that point and watch me quit on a weekly basis because I didn't want to be in pain anymore um, to achieving something because I loved it because I wanted to be there and not because everyone was telling me that I was good at it. It finally was, okay, you did this by yourself, backed yourself in, didn't give up when you had every reason to. You're old, you're broken, but you got there. So that's my favorite. Yeah, that's what's good. The, um, what's that's the, very good. What's the sound like in a um, in that sort of arena? Because like outdoor sports, it's it's like not contained, so like sound floats everywhere. But in like mm. it's like so echoey in like a swimming pool. Can you hear much of it when you're swimming? Um, not really. I think once you dive in the pool, it's like autopilot. You switch off everything, and all the training that you've done just is meant to come together. So that was one of those moments where it just perfectly aligned and. I had my eyes closed so I couldn't see anything. In that last 25, there's people running by the side of the pool just throwing you on. Um, so I saw a bit of that, but you don't hear much other than that. The water's, I mean, rushing pretty fast because you're going pretty fast. Um, but, yeah, you don't really hear much until you touch the wall and then yeah. it kind of hits you. Is that like then, is it sort of lonely in races then when if you're just sort of locked in and it's just you by yourself? Do you feel that at all? Um, it's more like panic at the disco. It's uh, <laughs> a lot of, although it's autopilot, there's so much to, and people get so sucked into swimming other people's races. So there is that element of having to be so disciplined to not look around and swim someone else's race plan. And cause obviously the IM, everyone's good at different legs of the race. So someone can be two seconds faster than me at butterfly, but I know I've got them on breaststroke. So just staying calm and staying composed and sticking to, to race plans was was key always. Um, look, you you may have done it deliberately, but the 2012 you get an Olympic medal, mm-hmm. like peak of your powers, inverted commas, like you're killing it. Yeah. And you, you mentioned you moved to the Gold Coast, but like there was a stage there post that like peak of your powers type areas mm-hmm. that you sort of thought swimming was like your your relationship with swimming faded a little bit yeah definitely um got to the end of that what would you call it like era of my life and didn't like who I was as a person um didn't like the kind of athlete that I was and didn't like the environment that I was in so I know I knew immediately that I needed to change after that 
as soon as I left that Olympic Games, I went home, took six weeks off, um, travelled by myself a bit around Australia and just kind of made some some tough calls. And it was hard. It was really hard to leave a coach that I'd swum with for seven years who I felt basically raised me but at the same time also did a lot of damage in that time mentally to me with not having accountability or not being able to make decisions for myself um, and I won't say turning me into a bad human but moulding me into this human that I didn't like and yes it made me successful and yes it was the most successful portion of my career but I came out of that not liking who I was so I really knew that I needed to to make that change. What <clears throat> what didn't you like about yourself? Um, the way that I treated people and the way that I saw other people um, I thought I was too good I thought I was too independent too successful um, and just had a big chip on my shoulder and that's not who I wanted to be um, so I came out of that experience just with a sense of loss of identity almost hmm. and we talk about that a lot as athletes not knowing who you are without swimming but I didn't know who I was with swimming at that point and that really hurt me and it hurt my family and it hurt my brother um, and hurt my friendships as well. Is it a dark space to be in? Like it, yeah, definitely. It's... And it took a long time to reflect on it. I, I think at the time I was just like, I just need to get out. I need something new. But the more I reflected on it, I was like, you stuffed up a lot in that period with people, not your swimming. You were successful because of the drive that you had and the things that you and the work that you put in to get there, but you stuffed up a lot with people during that period. Do you reflect back on being able to actually identify that as a positive? Like it sounds like you, you thought about it. Like yeah, some people funny. like you can't, like some people can't some people would just go on and you would just continue on and that's the person you are. Yeah. But yeah. Um the fact you actually identified that you didn't like what was happening. At the yeah, time. I think that's where my whole self awareness journey came in and I'm almost annoyingly self aware now. <laughs> uh, I shit myself to tears most days um, and overthink everything, but it's a skill that I, I needed to continue in my sport for as long as I did. Um, I think if I kept going on that dark path, um, would I have been as successful? Maybe, but would I have liked myself at the end of the day? Definitely not. Is that is that common in swimming like that sort of, do you have to be that sort of person to be, to perform at that level? Um, not necessarily, but in Perth, it was a very small fish pond. So I was the best and I was coming home from all these international meets and I was the only one from Perth on the team. So that came with this sense of I'm the best. Mm. And little did I know, or I did know that over East there's, it's a big pond and I was a small fish. Um, so when I went to the Gold Coast, I figured that out pretty quickly and, learnt or I trained with a lot more females so there was a lot more cattiness a lot more bitchiness and um that was a learning curve for me in, in how to deal with myself and be knocked down a peg or two uh, and then come home with a, a different mindset of okay you're not invincible it sounds like you were like you know it sounds like you're a different person but like like you said like it's a different era that it's sort of important to go back on that the 2016, why it was so important to you, that mm -hmm. race coming back. Yes, the injury. Yes, the 
doubt from other people supporting you or whatever, but like you as a person have changed a fair bit from your first Olympics to your second Olympics. Yeah, I think if you ask my squad of younger guys, they still said that they I terrified them. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> that is so cold. But I went about <clears throat> it a little bit better. I liked myself a little better. Yes, I was competitive. Yes, I was stubborn. Um, but I liked myself a little bit more in the way I went about things and the way I carried myself and the way I interacted with people was the most important part of it. It's very interesting. So 2016, um, you do the race that is the top of your list and mm -hmm. then you head to Rio Olympics, the second mm -hmm. Olympics. Yep. Is it a different experience? Uh, yeah, I was older, uh, a bit wiser, uh, recovered less fast. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it, the training and the preparation was a lot different. I obviously had the shoulder injury, which I actually had to take, um, what is it? like uh, steroids a week out from competition because it was just cactus. I was in strapping. I couldn't finish my main sets. So I struggled a lot through that prep. And then as soon as I raced, I actually raced pretty well, um, was pretty proud of that race, didn't make the final. Again, I wouldn't call it a failure, but I didn't achieve my self-expectation. Mm. Um but then I got out of the pool, went to the doctor, and he's like, all right, you need to have three months off now because you are complete cactus. And I was like, you couldn't have <laughs> told me that going into you've, this. You've cooked it. Yeah. So different experience. Um, again, I've always been the one to try and see the positive side of athletic performance. When everything goes wrong, what can you learn from it? What can you get from it? And I was able to push through a lot of pain and a lot of, I guess, self-doubt to actually get behind the blocks at that 2016 Olympic Games. Um, came out of it really bloody proud, got to wear the green and gold again and be a part of a team that did something really special. Like we won some incredible races there as a team and that was probably my most enjoyable part was being on the Australian team and seeing people do insane things. Didn't you have – when you lost your waste scholarship, sponsorship, mm. whatever it is, didn't you have anonymous uh, sponsors that effectively funded that run for you? I did. Olympics? Yeah. So I had two um, incredible individuals from Perth. Um, I swam with Dean Peters as I was growing up a little bit. Great man, Dean he, He's fantastic. I owe that man a lot. Um, but I sat down with him probably a couple of days after I got told that my scholarship was on hold. Um, and he goes, what's your biggest barrier? And I said, obviously financial, like I've lost access to everything. Um, and he said, all right, leave it with me. And then a couple of days later he came back and he's, he said, got two people that would love to support you for this next run. And without them, there's definitely no way that I also would have got to that Olympic game. So hmm. takes a, takes a village. Yeah. Um, and I can't thank those two individuals enough. Because like that income funding element to Olympic sport, not just swimming, is mm. real, right? Yeah. Like without much. people like – and everyone doesn't have random people, anonymous people backing them in. Yeah. Like that's a – that's a as you know, has much of a task as is the training, right? Yeah. Being able to fund what you're doing. Yeah, because obviously we can't have daytime jobs. We yeah. train seven, eight hours a day, which is a full-time job essentially. So to actually fund yourself and get money, my mum and dad are – 
incredible humans and they supported and funded most of my swimming career. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a full-time job and not many people understand that there's not much other mental capacity and physical capacity that you can go and spend eight hours on your feet doing something or eight hours in front of a computer. Like you are locked in, especially in Olympic year and leading into it. It's definitely tough to hold down a job. And I had, I tried a few casual jobs and then traveled and then they couldn't keep that for me. So I was always kind of like, oh, well, swimming's only this portion of my life. So I'll just dedicate my whole life to it. Right. Um, Olympic villages, one of my great life regrets is that I gave up running at a young age and <laughs> never got to experience, not the Olympics, but the Olympic village. Uh, I, I look, anyone who's been to the Olympics, I always ask them about this. Like, mm -hmm. is it all it's cracked up to be? Is it good fun? Yeah, it's the best time. It's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, everything you hear is true. Oh, excellent. And um, great. that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> like, you would have, you know, you know not, don't want to hear any stories well I do actually but uh you would have you know the, the, it can you explain what the Olympic Village is like it's it, it's is it just like a massive group of athletes from all around the, the world in one area yep. and you're eating in the same places you what what is it it's the Olympic Village it's like a small sims I guess yes you're all placed into this big apartment complex and every country has their own apartments um and i think there's some weird thing that you have to bid to get closest to the dining hall because it's a long walk if you are on the other side of the village trying to get to the dining hall it's like a 3k round oh. trip so aussie was always lucky that we were pretty close to everything but you know you have eight people in one apartment you're sharing a room with two or three people the food hall is just a free-for-all there's tables food Maccas, everything that you could want. There's vending machines full of Coke and Sprite and Powerade. And it's just, it's a dream. Like you just walk in there and you never want to leave. That's what they call, um, obviously for athletic reasons as well, but they call it the post-Olympic depression because for a month of your life, everything is on a silver platter. Right. And there's so much fun and there's so much access to all these different experiences and opportunities when you're at an Olympic Games that when you come out of there and you just go back to normal life it's like this come down that you experience that's just like what do i do now is there decent status as a swimming group that you're the first week and uh you know I, and again like i'm a massive olympic games nuffy so yeah. like i just watch forever and i'm an like i used to run so i always used to think geez you must be pissed off racing like <laughs> Day 13 of the Olympics while all the swimmers are clowning around because they, yeah. they don't have any. Like, are you guys just like, is it a part? Like, is there parties? Like, is it is it something like once swimming finishes first week, athletes are just sitting around for that first week going, well, da, 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 they're having their waters and stuff. Do swimmers then turn into party mode? We are the most loved team in that first week. People, we come back from swimming and everyone's like, you guys are the best. In yes. that second week, they're like, get out. <laughs> yeah, <it's> out <laughs> and it changed. Oh, I didn't. No, it wouldn't have changed. 2012 was a free-for-all. Like that second week, we were coming back at all times of the morning. There was no curfew because London was quite safe. Um, yes. In Rio, it was a little bit different, being a little bit more dangerous. We had curfews and we had to check in and all those sorts of things. So, yes. yeah, we 
were the most hated team in that second week <laughs> because some sports didn't even start until the second week. Yeah. But they wouldn't move into the village until that second week. Right. So there's Coppin, you're having the best time of your lives. Yeah. Your, your competition's done, thing you've built up for four years. Yeah. You're and either won starting. or you've lost, whatever it is, but it's happened. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I can't wait for my race in three days' time. Yeah. Shut the fuck up, please. But we had the best time because obviously we finish and then we just get to go support every yeah. other sport. We get tickets to whatever we want and we just get to immerse ourselves in the whole Olympic experience, which we miss the opening ceremony every single competition mm. because we are on the first day or the first week. So we do miss out on some things, but – swimmers are very lucky that everything's in that first week and we just have the best time in that that second one. And in, in the village, like you said, there's McDonald's. Are you, like, paying for that stuff? So what happens? You just go to a counter at McDonald's, you go, I want this, and then they hand it to you, walk out. Yeah. Oh <laughs> I'm telling In the vending you. machines, you just walk up, push a button, it comes out. And it's 24 hours. <laughs> we need to get fist ball in the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We're uh, – we're running a state uh, stateside for fist ball. It's an international sport. It hasn't quite made the Olympics yet, but I'm well, trying maybe. to compete for Australia. That isn't, is um, isn't e-games in the Olympics? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah we could, I mean, that maybe, could be you. Yeah, I could Anything goes. That. And baseball's back, so. Well, can't play baseball. <laughs> yeah. So we're hoping to teach ourselves how to do other sports. <laughs> There'd be some big dogs rolling around in the Olympic villages. Mm-hmm. Like people that spring to mind are like the dream team. Yeah. In, uh, is that just like, hey, what's up? Hey, like. Hey, hey, LeBron. Hey, um, hey so Cody. what's going on? They don't actually stay in the village, so they stay out of the village. They're too big to be in the village. They would get hounded. They'd never sleep. People right. would be stalking them. All right, those sorts right, of right, things. Right. So they stay out of the village. They do come in to visit, and we were actually really lucky in the 2012 games. Our staging camp was in Manchester, and they were staying at the same hotel as us. So our dining rooms are next to each other. Just passing them in the hallway, getting in the lift with them. Classic. Just. Mind blown. And when's like, like, is that those people? Like yeah, LeBron, Kobe? Yeah, yeah. Who else is in there? Like what? Um, CP3 2016 was Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson. Great. Like all the guys that. Massive. Men it was just. A, it was a very good team. Men. It wasn't. Melt, they, yeah. didn't, they didn't send like their second squad like, like the World no, Cup. This the 2012 and 2016 was was amazing. but That's unique. Like you're talking about like it's no big deal. Like it's unique that you're rolling Well, this is what I say to people is that, you know, we see these, we see our idols on TV and we idolise them and put them on a pedestal. But when you actually meet them and shake their hand, get a photo, have a conversation, like they're the most normal human Mm. beings. And I think that is a big misconception where people go wrong in treating athletes like they're invincible and that they should be put on a pedestal and, held to different standards than everyone else. But when it comes down to it, we're all human and we're seeing that in the media with the whole mental health side of things is that we are seeing our athletes struggle now. We are seeing them come out and speak about it. So for me, meeting these incredible humans, you know, you've got um, Kevin Love, I think it is, yeah, has a charity. He's got a mental health charity and he's educating kids and creating curriculums for them um, to better themselves. So they've used their struggles and they've used their um, status to create something really beautiful instead of just resting on being like, I'm the best in the world, nothing can touch me, and then just retiring and going living on a boat somewhere. (laughs) So it's 
it's really humbling and I love those experiences. And I always tell them in a classroom, I'm like, I've met Kobe Bryant. <laughs> he sat on my couch with a cheeseburger. <laughs> and people lose their mind. But it's it's crazy because they they all started somewhere and they're all just ridiculously good at what they do. But it definitely doesn't make them any less human. Any favourite story from Olympics, Olympic Village, swimming in general that I haven't asked about? That's a broad question. It is. Gosh, I could speak about my swimming career forever um, and also retirement as well. Yeah, I want to ask you about transition out of swimming because, yeah, you go through two Olympics and you keep swimming after that 16, right? That's You didn't retire after that. Didn't retire. I kept no. going for another few years we, after that. Yeah. So what's that period like? And and then the transition out? Uh, that period was good. <laughs> I was Ooh. getting older, getting a little bit more frail, um, but made Com Games in 2018, had one of my most favourite performances there as well. Bronze medal. Bronze medal. Um, and the story behind that is my favourite coach of all time, Bud. Uh, I went to trials and the day after we got back, he tells me that he has a cyst on his brain and a tumour on his spine that he's been hiding from us for God knows how long ah. uh, and said that he wasn't going to be there for the next five weeks of my prep. So lost my coach just like that. Oh. Uh, he had to go and have surgery um, and just felt very alone again, not having someone that I trusted and bonded with and had so much faith in watching them go through something so hard. It was bittersweet because I was like, I want you to be okay, but I also need you here for this. And so when I got up to do that swim at Com Games, I actually dedicated that race to him because he had taught me so much in the few years that I'd been with him that I was able to get up and do that by myself without someone being like, okay, this is what you need to do. Mm. This is how good you are. Um, all those things that I learned as a kid, I felt like I'd really grown out of and come into my own at that point. I was able to almost lead my squad through that period and be like, it's going to be okay, guys. We just have to keep turning up. And there was days where, you know, we all turned up and just did our session by ourselves. And I think that's just a testament to the kind of coach and human that Bud was, is that he was able to not only mould athletes, but also humans that took accountability and responsibility for what they were doing. And you devolved into the mother duck. I did. <laughs> and the boys hated me. <laughs> I think there was like, there was obviously respect, but again, I could be a handful at times and yes. it kind of flipped the switch. So I was annoyed at the older boys that I used to train with and they were annoyed at the older girl that they had to train with that used to beat them. Fair. I'd be annoyed too. <laughs> Do you have a moment where you're like, right, enough's enough. Like I'm done with swimming. I, like do you quit or do you retire? Yeah. You retire. Yeah. You, or you change careers. Retire, I guess. And not many people can say they retired at 30. Um, yeah, must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not because now I'm in the real world and it's really hard. So uh, I'm in my second life now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think when COVID hit, so it was 2020, March, gearing up for another Olympic campaign um, and was sitting in Sydney in a swim meet and they're like, the world's gone to shit. Yeah. You'll have to go home, lockdown. And I was like, wait a minute. This is meant to be my retirement year. This is my farewell tour. I need to go to another Olympic Games and then tap out. 
and it just wasn't the fairy tale end that I wanted. So although that was really tough at that point, I got to take a few months off. I did PRP injections uh, in my shoulder to help it recover because I was still struggling with it um, and just sat at home for ages sitting on the bike on those Zoom sessions, those painful, painful Zoom sessions that we all had to do. Yeah, good home. Zoom. Oh, <laughs> we <gosh>. love Zoom. <laughs> it was horrible, but um, I knew that's not how I wanted to go out and I could have easily, again, tapped out like someone's – taken my dream away from me again um but I said to myself nah I'd, I'd rather go up my own terms and that's what I always said I said I didn't want injury or someone telling me they didn't believe in me to take me out so kept going just struggled through that period and then yeah I got to the 2021 trials and by then I was spent I was physically mentally absolutely drained and so I don't I wouldn't say I regret the last year that I swam, but it was definitely challenging more so mentally than anything I'd done before, anything I'd overcome, anything that had been thrown my way. Really? That last year was sucky for me. Was it because in your mind, like the Olympics, when they were first scheduled, that was the, like that was your end point probably yeah, mentally? Yeah, yeah. And then be like doing a training session and you – Got a three K session and they go yeah. actually just do another K. Well, I had I had to change coaches again because after that Com Games, Bud stopped coaching. Right. So he moved back to Canada. So lost my coach. Had to find a new squad. Had to find a new coach to work with. I think I left Bud in two thousand and end of eighteen or maybe the start of nineteen. So very quick transition to a new coach. Trying to get an Olympic campaign going with all my bits and pieces going on. Um, <laughs> So it was tough and then through that period, shoulder was still bad, took some time out of the water, gained some weight, told I was fat, um, had to lose the weight, get back in the pool. It was um, a very testing period. Right. And so you finish on your own terms? I did. <clears throat> so uh, what's that? what's that like for someone who's done it since you were six years old? to acting competed since you were what was it when was your first comp seven so seven till 30 30 so 23 years what's that like going i'm done my last race was at at the trials. so i swam that trials and nothing again panned out for me um i knew that it wasn't going to going into that meet um that was the one time where i was like yeah you're probably not as good as you once were and I was okay with that because I reckon if I made the Olympics, I couldn't have got there. I mean, I could have, obviously I would have pushed through, but that last race that I did, it was a 200 IM and that last 50 meters, I was like, get me out of this fucking pool. (laughs) (laughs) I was so done. Always the best mindset to have with 50 meters to go in Olympic (laughs) qualifier. But that's when you know you're done in sport. When you sit in a marshalling area and you say, I do not want to feel this anxious anymore. I do not want to feel this pain anymore. I I just want to be done. And I was really excited to swim my last race. And it wasn't a horrible race by any means. But when I got out of that, there was tears, obviously bittersweet. But I never... Or I didn't want to get back in the pool again. So I did go out on my own terms. No one told me that I was not good enough. No one told me that I was broken. I just got to finish touching the wall, 
and being completely happy with where I was. Do you still swim? No. Like- no. Well, it's like that's what I was saying. If it's really hot, do you enjoy just getting in a pool? No. Nah. <laughs> no. That's hilarious. Sorry. The beach? It's not that funny. Could you I'm go to the beach? scared of the ocean. Wow. I have an irrational fear of open water. Excellent. Okay. Um, that seems like a random weird thing. Yes. I love swimming. going to the beach, obviously. Like a bath? Are you happy to sit in a bath? Like, <laughs> I get bored. Do you shower? <laughs> <laughs> do you drink water? <laughs> no. Um, just going back to the pool, and I've been asked so many times, would you go back and coach? I'm like, no, nah, that's not me. My brother's a swim coach mm. and he absolutely loves it, but I reckon I'd ruin kids. <laughs> I reckon I just can't hold back when I'm frustrated. I can't like – I'm great to talk to kids. That's my job. I love it. But if you got me there at 5 a.m. every day, I just couldn't do it. So because... you're done. You're just done with the pool. Yeah. It's like done. Yeah. It's probably fair enough. You probably squeezed enough full time in in the last Yeah, I reckon I've been – actually, that's a lie. I've been back to the pool three times in the past two years. Wow. And every time I've got in, twice has been with friends and I reckon I've swum 200 metres and I'm like, yeah, that's me good. I'm done. Oh, wait, Classic. you're still swimming laps. So that's, like, I just mean like could you just sit and float? No, but she's you're, done two, you're... Mate, she's done 200. She used to do like 5K, yeah, 7K, <laughs> yeah, 200 metres, like yeah. slapping them around. Yeah, so I can sit at a pool, definitely. I My favourite holiday is lying by a pool, in a pool, with a drink in hand now. Yeah, yeah great. Um, yeah. Love that. So I just won't go back. Well, I'm not ready to return to the sport of swimming in yep. any capacity just yep. yet. Have you found the transition into the real world a positive one or has it been difficult? In all honesty, the first year and a half, all gravy, baby. Like just changed focus, started work, um, moved into a house by myself, me and my dog just hanging out all the time and it was great. Had that just I'm so glad I'm out of it. And then I reckon that year and a half mark, I was like, who are you? (laughs) What are you doing? Um, You need to be doing more. And societal pressure, obviously, was like when I retired, I was like, all right, you're going to settle down now. You're going to get married and have kids. And that is the last thing that has happened to me. Like that is not gone to plan at all. So societal pressure told me that I needed to be successful at something straight away. And when I figured out that I hadn't found that thing yet, I was pretty rocked by that. And I was like, all right what are you doing? You need to pick yourself up, find your purpose, find what you love doing and then make the most out of it. Like you did your swimming, make it something that you love doing. And so that's when I started working with Stitch and Time and Greg and um, sharing my story in hopes of inspiring other people and helping other people just be okay with everything not going to plan. And that being enough. Have you been fulfilled by the work you're doing there? Very much so. I love love connecting with people. I love chatting with people. Um, Like I said, I'm an anxious person. I have anxiety. So if I enter a room full of people, I panic. But for some reason, I can stand in front of 200 people and share my story. Mm. And um, the feedback that I get from that and, you know, the kids that message me after – a presentation and stay in contact and always asking questions and just reaching out means the world to me. It means that, you know, some days you walk out and there's such an imposter syndrome in what I do as well because sometimes my mental health is in the absolute toilet and I have to go and stand in front of people and say this is how you deal with it and I'm not doing that. I know I'm not doing that. So there's definitely an imposter syndrome that can come with the work that I do but I think that makes it 
even more important to keep going with it because there there is that element of you're not okay but if you are honest about that then people are going to respect you and so it's it's been a, a journey to mold my story and then also educate around mental health and well-being and self-care and all those sorts of things and not just treating them as external things like I mean the whole look good feel good thing um doesn't really fly for me anymore it's more feel good look good and that's what I really try and talk about with kids and Greg in a stitch in time has given me so much confidence and so much passion for for doing what I do now is that I love it and I'll do it until the day I die. I die. It's really interesting about uh, the imposter syndrome stuff and people speaking about mental health and, and again, I try not to inject myself too much into these guest chats because this is about you, but I do a bit of work in that space and feel exactly the same. It's like, oh, hey, this is, these are some great tools you can have to help your mental health, whether it be talking to people or yeah. – you know, getting others around you to help or, I don't know, just yeah, meditation, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I'll be sort of standing up the front going, I am literally doing not one of these things and my mind is absolutely <laughs> cooked right yeah. now. It's, it's almost like laugh. You, know, you don't laugh, you cry kind of thing. Like, yeah. It's it's real though. People to, like people speaking about mental health, like no one's up there going, well, my mental health is completely fine. Like just yeah. follow me. This is the way, right? Yeah, yeah. The honesty element that you're talking about, it's important. Yeah, definitely. I've been into um, – chats where I'm like I've had the worst week of my life and then I still get up and do the regular presentation but I think really humanizing mental health with a lived-in experience so actually sharing stories and talking about some of the nitty-gritty parts actually make people feel better like I've always felt so crazy for some of the things that I've thought and gone through and then I've said them out loud and it's only when someone reflects it back in you, at you and they're like, I've been through something similar. You give people permission to be messy. You give people permission to share their story and be comfortable with an experience or something that they felt so ashamed of because there's so much shame in it still. Mm. And that's one of the most important messages that I try and get across to kids is that we should be speaking about and not just kids everyone really when you tell your story when you share parts of yourself that you're ashamed of you actually help way more people by doing that than just keeping yourself in a box because you think people would judge you is there is there an element of um especially the, the female side of things like you're you're a female that has been the best in your sport mm. and i know like sort of society and then like you know, just in general, people like to make a deal out of like the female v male thing. Like, yeah. is that a thing? Like, do, do do you feel like girls look up to you more because you are a woman standing in front of them rather than like me or Dan or a male saying, "Hey, this is my experience. This is what to do." You being a female, does that help younger females? I think so, and I have a huge passion for. Um, uh, we have this little program that I started with a stitch in time called Empower Herman. Um, and I've run a couple of workshops. That's one a, that's for nice, by the way. thank yeah, you, thank you so much. Words. Don't stare um, <laughs> yeah, Don't stare. <laughs> <laughs> I did a workshop for for young girls that took them into an environment where they didn't know each other. There was girls from all walks of life, from thirteen to eighteen. They came together. They had a psych session. We did some surfing lessons. There was a Pilates. 
there was a chat by me, there was nutrition and then a bit of journaling. So they all walked away from that, had the best day and that just fulfilled me so much. I have such a passion for especially, and I'm not going to put myself in a box and say female athletes, but I have probably seen it all, been through it all, done it all. So if I can go and inspire or help someone through something similar, that's my favourite part of of what I do um, because it's tough out there for female athletes. There's the body image issues. There's the eating, disordered eating that comes from being uh, an athlete as well. There's the the mental side of it. And I was a very successful, strong woman, so I never thought that I could speak about my mental health. I didn't think that I could show weakness because I was held to a different standard to a lot of my peers and my squad mates who were female but I just felt like I always had to keep this bravado on this shield up that didn't let people see the real me whereas now I'm like here it all is it's <laughs> on the table I don't care anymore if people think I'm weird I'm fine with that because I know that my story and my experiences can actually help a lot of people and I'm I'm really proud of that should be um mm. I mean full circle Everything we've just spoken about is literally giving you the gift to do what you're doing right now after swimming, correct? Yeah. Mm. Nice. Uh, that's Blair Evans, everybody. Thank you. Uh, we're not done. Social oh. media. <laughs> oh. We did say that we like a play on words. No, not social, social. Yes, okay. very good, isn't it? Okay. Um, social media. This I is like from it. the people for you. You've heard Uh-oh. enough from Dan and I. This is where the questions come through. And sometimes people are like, oh, no one's going to ask me questions. Don't worry. We've got some questions coming through I'm here. quite terrified. There is some um, interesting questions in my uh, message requests. Okay. So. Well, we haven't had access to those. <laughs> it's like we, we, could, we could actually get some. Anyway, okay. this is from the people, right. for the people. The Jay Jaden. Uh, what's the one thing you dislike about swimming? Uh, the cold. I'm not a cold person, so the winters really got to me. Hmm. Um, and then – Probably I'm terrible at maths, so adding anything up like time-wise or I couldn't read a clock when I was young, so I would always have to wait for the person next to me to go. It took me a while to, to learn that, so the mathy side of swimming and the early cold mornings. Do you lose count of laps on a long race? I, funny story, I um, went away to World Cup and there was three separate races. The first one... I miscounted and put my head up to see if I was finishing and they kept me going. The second one I absolutely nailed, broke the Australian record. The third one I stopped early and I was on world record pace. Oh. What oh. race? Like what? How? 400 free, short course. So they're all the same race. One you thought Put my you, head up. and They said keep going. Kept swimming. They're like, yep, keep going. The second one you broke the Aussie record. <laughs> the last one you stopped and you didn't need to – Wow. You've had an absolute howler <laughs> at the World Cup. We present to you one of Australia's <laughs> finest swimmers, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that is actually very funny. Oh, I like that. Uh, Kaya1148. Uh, what's it like to be uh, at the Olympics with so many fans watching? Uh, you're quite closed off to that because obviously you don't – you're a world way. You've got obviously a crowd full of people. London, I think there was like 20,000 people in the stands, but they want to cheer for the English athletes. Um, Gold Coast, 10,000 people. That was incredible. One of my most 
treasured experiences, winning that bronze medal and doing the lap of honour around the pool and just genuinely people are so happy to see you and so happy that you won a bronze medal. And we see a lot of athletes that are just like, oh, bronze, that's kind of shit. But I was like, yes, (laughs) a bronze. (laughs) As you should. Yeah. Um, This looks like a request coming in, Sophie Atkins. Uh, Are you coming to Scarborough on Friday? Is this a friend of yours? Sophie Atkins asks, are you coming to Scarborough on Friday? Um, not that I know. <laughs> okay. I, I don't, I don't, do we have I don't know what that is. Okay. Maybe I'm sorry, Sophie. I, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask this one from Dubstar. What's something about swimming, swimmers or swimming that people don't know? Uh, something about swimmers that people won't know. Or swimming. Like, swimming. I don't know. Um, we all have weird quirks. Breaststrokers, weirdest people out. Why? Don't know. Every breaststroker I've ever met is the weirdest human known to man. It's like, it's like rock. It's like rocks. It's yeah. like rocks in football. There's one in every sport that you're just yeah, like, it's the rocks. You all there? It's the rocks. Yeah. It's because so it's, it's like, it's not really, a, it's like, what are you doing? It's not really it's a like survival. swimming stroke. Yeah. No. I can't, I used to swim breaststroke as well. Correct. So like what? Are they just, they're just tapped a little bit. They're just good. a different breed of human yeah okay good it's the kick it's the kick it's, it's the, the kick f- it's, it's the being able to bend your knees in that way and <laughs> yeah. and still be able to walk when you get out yes uh and very finally as we always finish from the egg man how do you like your eggs oh depends what day it is depends what it's on poached usually if i'm just doing a quick brekkie it's scrambled so you can sort of go always yeah i'm not picky i am Obviously, I used to eat a shit ton of food, so I'll just take it yes. any way it comes. Correct. This Not is a my. Girl. This is. I'm the same way. Some people is very specific with that question. <laughs> uh, that is us done, Dustin. Did you have fun? Thank you. Blair? I did very much so. Thank you for having me. Backchatstudios.com.au. You can find all the stuff there. You know what to do. Fleet Network, powering the podcast. Swimply supporting us this year. Whippersnapper Whiskey, Margaret River Roasting Co., Blue Bet, Shelter Brewing Co., Leadable Cameras, Mumba Digital, they're our sponsors. Thank you to those. If we were swimmers, we've been doing a few Olympic campaigns, I reckon. Uh, Blair, thank you. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.